Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Good day, Phil. Great to see you as always. You know, we did half think, didn't we, of postponing this episode because it's been a bit of a plain old start to the UK Championship, really, hasn't it? Nothing much seems to have happened at all. Yeah, absolutely. Talking snooker. What, what's there to talk about? There's been nothing going on, has there? Uh, no, uh, not at all. Yeah, hello everyone. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Uh, it's been uh, it's been almost chaotic. It feels at times, isn't there? So much flying about. Um, I had to remember to actually sort of look at some results rather than all the debates that's been going on. But now it's great stuff. Plenty to chat about for sure. Yeah, definitely. There's no almost chaotic about it. I mean, it's been absolutely uh, yeah chaotic. What. A- what a first five days. Play is still going on, actually. We're recording this here quite late on, on Sunday night in, in the UK. I've just finished a, a, a sporting shift. Loads going on in the world of sport. But my goodness, you know, there are some weeks we come on here and we say that, you know, Snooker's taking kind of a backseat against all the sort of more, shall we say, mainstream drama. But that certainly hasn't been the case the last few days. My goodness, it's been right at the top of the agenda and we'll get, get to all that and really feel... We should probably go straight into the really big topic that's been occupying the, the thoughts of, of snooker fans everywhere. Really big development. What have they done with the score graphic? <laughs> yeah, it's really caused talk of the furore. This is the biggest one, isn't it? That long yellow line and the, the black line underneath it. It's uh, it's ruffled some feathers, that's for sure. Well, I, I think I'm getting to know you quite well. So I sort of messaged you earlier and said, is it annoying you? I knew it wouldn't somehow. Um, I'm, I'm quite in tune with you. It does annoy me a, a bit, but then it's one of those that I'm already getting used to it now. Day two of the coverage, because I brought it in. I think it's taking up too much of the screen. I'll be honest. It, it, you know, I, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan, but, but you know, uh, as snooker fans, we can be so nerdy, and it's reminded me, you know, because a lot of people have said, well, I don't care about that at all. And you know, sometimes we can all be a little bit funny about things that people care about, and it sort of reminds us that. Within this sport, we all have our, our own little uh, 
pieces of angst, don't we, around the furniture, if you like. <laughs> I think it's because we spend so much time watching Snooker and a little change can look, can just set you off a bit, can't it? I suppose it's if they do it on test cricket sometimes, just how, how the scoreboard looks. And even if it's not really changing anything, it's just, but you spent so many hours looking at the same thing, you'd be like, well, what's that? Um, but as you say, probably a couple of days in and we've already forgotten about it. But yeah, I'd, I mean, I was certainly much closer to the don't care side of things, but I suppose it is a bit weird that they've taken up a lot extra space without putting anything extra on. I mean, there's so much, there's so much yellow and black there now. You could almost have more stats or something on there, but uh, there's not. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it wasn't really bothering me, but I suppose now I think about it, it's not the best. Actually, I, I've genuinely never thought about this, so you just said it, but there, there, there could potentially be more, more scope for stats, couldn't there? I mean, maybe, maybe let's be careful with that to some extent because you don't want to overload the the sort of viewers that snooker table is always the main thing. But mm. it strikes me, as you say, with cricket that we, we both watch an awful lot of and baseball, which is a similar thing in a sort of American angle, it's non-stop stats. Maybe it wouldn't work for snooker, but, you know, we, we just have that score. And as you say, maybe the odd bit of stat past matches, you know, um, pop percentages, that kind of thing might work. Who knows? I said, they need to make slightly better use of that space at the bottom of yeah. it. I quite often think that they could have the break on on the on the scoreboard as well, rather than just their overall frame score. But again, I'm not that fussed about it. <laughs> well, do you know what? We've done the sarcasm and the humour. Should we get on with a really serious matter of the week, genuinely? And of course, that is the story that has put snooker right to the top of the sports news agenda. In fact, at times, even the news agenda, never mind just sports news. And that was those comments from Sean Murphy after losing to Si Chua in the first round. Um, very surprising in a way that it came out uh, as dramatically as it did uh, from Sean Murphy. He says he doesn't think amateur players should compete in professional tournaments. Murphy lost 6-5 in that match uh, last Tuesday. Let's remind you then, I'm sure you've seen these, but it's worth perhaps delving a bit more into the actual quotes from Sean that night. Telling the BBC this, I feel extremely hard done by that I have lost to someone who shouldn't even be in the building. I don't know why we as a sport allow amateurs to compete in professional tournaments. This is our livelihood. This is our living. We are self-employed individuals and not contracted sportsmen. We don't play for a team. The other 127 runners and riders in the tournament, it's their livelihood too. It is wrong in my opinion to walk into somebody who is not playing with the same pressures and concerns that I am. He played like a man who does not have a care in the world because he does not have a care in the world. It's not fair. It's not right. I'm not picking on him as a young man. He deserved his victory. Amateurs should not be allowed in professional tournaments. The end. This is our livelihood. This is how I put food on the table. This is how I earn money. Since turning professional at 15, I've earned the right to call myself a professional snooker player. He hasn't done that. He shouldn't be on the table. Important to say that Sean did get backing from other top players, didn't he? Including Mark Selby and Neil Robertson. And since those comments, Sean has been on the television where he's doing some punditry work for the BBC and says he regrets the timing and has apologised to see he Maybe the timing is the thing we should talk about first, Bill. I mean, you have to say it was never going to be well received, certainly in the wider sporting world. You just lost 
to an amateur player. You're then complaining he shouldn't be, you know, in the building. To echo a very old line about Steve, from Stephen Hendry, by the way, that nice look, link to Snoop in, <laughs> that, that line about the building. But, you know, it, it's not a good look in many ways. This is not some, you know, professional that's been around two or three years, five years. It's a seasoned two-decade professional in Sean, former world champion, famous name among not the snooker, but in the wider sporting world. And a lot of people just, frankly, didn't take kindly to him coming out at that time after the defeat. And I think Sean, with hindsight, kind of can see himself it wasn't very good timing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm 100% convinced that's the only reason it's become such a big story because I'm stunned at how much coverage it's got everywhere. You know, top of the BBC website, it was getting full page, full page spreads in the papers. And that's not because people are very interested in the debate whether amateurs should be allowed in the professional game because that's been spoken about before. That I did an interview with Mark Williams a couple of weeks before this tournament and he made pretty much the exact same point. And uh, you know that didn't that didn't spring into the mainstream. I think I think that the sort of wider mainstream interest was, as you say, it just made it's because Sean just came across quite badly as looked like a sore loser, as a former world champion, sort of almost just picking on a, a teenage amateur, which I don't think is exactly how I would describe it, but that's how it that's it looked to the to the wider public and why it becomes such a big story. I think, um, but yeah, there's so uh, the timing. Um, you can see why he said it then, obviously, but uh, that's I think that's why it's uh, gone so massive. And it really has. It's not that often that Snooker stories outside of Ronnie O'Sullivan, say, um, get this much coverage. So it's been it's been crazy, really. But all good news. I saw that interview with Steve Dawson saying ticket sales are doubled after that. So good stuff. Yeah, the old, you know, all publicity is ultimately good publicity thing. I, I'm a bit like you. It was on the Wednesday, wasn't it, that obviously it really blew up. Comments came out in the early hours. And I woke up and kind of saw, oh, this is getting quite big. And, and then as the day went on, and I became almost a bit anaesthetised to it. And I was saying, messaging you and saying to a couple of my colleagues on the desk that like their snooker, but it wouldn't be their number one priority in sport by any means, saying, I can't believe how big this is getting. Yeah. I, you know, almost like, is my new judgment skew with here? And maybe it's because we're so involved in snooker. This, is, this isn't the first time it's happened, actually that a really big snooker story has gone mainstream. And I'm a little bit of a loss as to why it's got so big. People obviously like that amateur against professional angle, but, you know, because it, it does strike a chord. It's obvious that that would, but just the extent of it. And, you know, let's let's not be by the bush here. Sean was on TV news programmes. The topic was on mainstream TV news programmes. He was on the Today programme on Radio 4. He was on top of the BBC website, well into Wednesday afternoon, virtually, I think, when football was starting. And it was quite a big midweek of football, wasn't it, just gone. Mm. Um, and our friend Shamoon Hafez, who we must thank for coming on last week, he was excellent with, with us, told us that there was more than a million page views on that yeah. article. And I'm sure there's been more since then. And there was between about 1,300 and 1,400 comments on around about that late Wednesday afternoon, late Wednesday, early, early Wednesday evening. And that is quite extraordinary. I mean, <laughs> you know, everyone's got different views about Piers Morgan, but when Piers Morgan is wading into a debate <laughs> on Twitter, that, you know, that's almost like one of the symbols, isn't it, Bill? You think, ah, now it, it, this story's cracked it. This has gone beyond, you know, the snooker, gone beyond sport. This has gone yeah. into, into Piers land. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't really want to spend too much time there. But yeah, it certainly it certainly did make it. Yeah. I mean, and as I say, it's, it didn't seem like a especially interesting debate to have, but yeah, it was something about it that really caught the imagination. And uh I mean for me, I think you can have a debate, you can have a point where a professional circuit should be a professional circuit. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, that's one thing. The thing I didn't agree with was the sort of suggestion that amateurs have an advantage, any kind of advantage over professionals because they're playing with no pressure and stuff. I just can't get on board with that at all, really. Um, the, way, they were, the way they Sean described it made it sound like, you know, this was me or you just being given a, a chance to go and play in, in the UK Championship and it was just a complete freebie, have a crack at this. Obviously, you've got nothing to lose, but... These guys like CG Hui and the, the other amateurs that have played, they're full-time snooker players. You know, they are, they are, this is how they put food on the table, as Sean put it. And uh, they make a lot less money out of it than uh, than the top pros do. Um, so the six and a half grand that he won for beating Sean um, is huge for him. And, th- and there are ranking points available. You can get back on tour through the one-year list. I think you can qualify for the World Grand Prix and things like that through it. So, um, yeah, the whole pressure thing, I think, was just completely just wrong really inaccurate um if you just want to say amateurs shouldn't play in professional tournaments that's one thing and uh you know fair enough i i don't really think that in this situation because i think sean was saying it should be a buy rather than that and i don't think you want to see that do you, you don't want to see some people getting buys through to rounds and how would you decide who gets a buy and whatever like so yeah uh it wasn't i didn't really agree with any of it really although there's a bit of it i could see where he's coming from and i, I could see that opinion but yeah the, the bit about amateurs having advantages though I, I couldn't see that at all myself yeah and judge trump's come out and certainly interview that i did with him one night on zoom judd and i think he said it to a few people afterwards you know, he was saying he doesn't see that at all when he sees amateurs you know he he, he can see the pressure they're under and he can feel the pressure they're under. I mean, just to play devil's advocate a bit, though. Um, yes, there are there are things up for grabs for those players, those top ups, but not the kind of same week in week out ranking point considerations that the top players have. And you know, they're the ones that that are in a way in the cut and thrust of it every week. Is it fair to say? Because Stephen Hendry was sort of almost suggesting it's a bit of a free hit. Now, I don't really think that's true either. I think the truth might be somewhere in between, but I don't, I think there's an, a kernel of maybe some sort of truth there with Sean in the sense that, you know, a bit bit of a nothing to lose thing, isn't it? A bit, if they come in, they are under pressures, but, you know, it's a bit like, we're well, not actually on the tour at the moment, have this chance to, you know, where you've got almost, you know, if you lose, everyone expects you to lose. If you win, it's amazing for you. I'm just trying to sort of see both Yeah. Like, well, no, I see what you, and I mean, there's that, I mean, you could put that situation on professionals, you know, there's professionals at the bottom end of the rankings who would have, be given even less chance than CG Hui would be given against Sean Murphy. So, it, I mean, there's always different, I mean, this is what I thought about the pressure point. I tried to put this in a tweet earlier in the week, but it was too much of a sort of long-winded, I couldn't really work it out, but pressure is such sort of an abstract concept and so different to every specific player and every specific match everyone's under different levels of pressure for endless different reasons that it's almost not even worth thinking about. You can't say, oh, we shouldn't do this because the pressure is different for that. It's just, it's so specific for every different situation. 
that is impossible to really quantify. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've not really explained that very well. That's why I couldn't put it in one tweet. But if you see, do you know what I mean? I, I do, I do. Each person both have completely different pressures. And, you know, talking about finances and stuff, you know, there might be, there's pros who don't need to win another penny for the rest of their career or, you know, the amateurs who might be skinned or they might not, they might be well off. So it's just impossible to say. But um, yeah, I mean, I get the point that they're not, they're not scrapping to stay on tour like some people are because they're not on tour. So again, that's a slight bit of less pressure, but certainly financially wise, they're going to need the money more than the top 16 guys are for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. I think part of the issue might be, and I, I'm actually going to, what I'm going to say now is almost going to criticize our, our business. We, we have our cake and eat it a little bit with the amateur thing. Because I remember Neil Fold saying this when James Cahill beat Ronnie O'Sullivan at the Crucible uh, a couple of years ago. The way we sell it to the public a little bit is it, you said it's like me and you, it's like these guys are, you know, they're almost like the guys that enter that tournament that Judd Trump was in, the pool one, where they play. And actually, most of them have been on tour already, Mm. you know, and they're, they're top players. So we use that line amateur and it's a bit of a loaded one, actually. Um, so I think that's part of maybe the issue as well. And I think actually Neil Robertson came a cropper with that as well because he did that interview where he's backing him up, backing up Sean with the BBC. He did on I think it was on the radio, and then but then he tweeted the next day saying um, some of these guys aren't amateurs; they were in the top fifty a couple of years ago. So he didn't consider them amateurs, but they are amateurs. But it's exactly that point. It's very easy to real to think well they're not amateurs, but. Yeah, we sell them as amateurs when, as I said before, they're full-time players. They're just not technically on a professional tour. No. But then also, also it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of linguistics for some because it's the 122 players this year instead of 128 because of all sorts of COVID reasons. And so the, the top six on the Q school list have effectively got a one-year card anyway. And I think I saw Joe Perry tweet, they should have just given those six a card mm. and then this wouldn't be an issue. And then nothing would have changed. Nothing, no qualification or anything would have been different. But he would be CGOE would be called a professional now, where as at the minute he's not. But but with nothing different other than we just call a professional. You see what I mean? Um, so yeah, yeah. The cutoff between while it's obvious who's on tour, who's not on tour, in your head, what is an amateur or not, is not quite as clear as that. No, I I, I definitely agree with that. I mean. <laughs> There are these top-ups in events, obviously. Sean says, as you said earlier, you know, there could be buys. I think buys are a bit of a no-no, really, on probably quite a lot of levels. Ironically, I think they they would probably look quite amateur. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's not good for the look of any event, certainly a big one like the UK Championship. Good, good gracious. I mean, uh, broadcasters, sponsors, it, it just wouldn't look good for anybody involved, really, to have players getting buys. They just... You need to fulfil those matches, those contracts. You need a proper draw and, you know, every match being contested, really. So, listen, I know there are people on a much wider level, and some of them have argued this for quite a long time, to be fair, that say the tour is just too big now. It's not quite manageable. And I and I think I'm swinging a bit more to what you have suggested on here, that you think that maybe they should sort the prize money out in a little bit of a, of a kind of fairer way that there are more reward, not, you know, not reward, but if you've lost a first round match, you still get something. And mm-hmm. maybe that's the way to go now because 
it's clearly a, a scrap, you know, for those lo lower down the list. And it, it, the one thing that comes to my mind just when I think about it, of course, you, you mentioned Neil Robertson. He then lost to John Ashley, didn't he? Yeah. And, and someone shouted, come on the amateurs, which goes, which was, I think, the one of the great symbols of the week as to what the public feel about this story. Yeah. But then Judd Trump said that he, inadvertently Sean had put pressure on other players, actually, top players, and maybe Neil was one of those to suffer because he had a match very quickly against these, you know, against one of these quote-unquote amateurs, came unstuck. And, you know, that probably wasn't Sean's intention, but it might have sort of come through like that, of course. Yeah, and, of course, Neil had commented on it as well, so maybe that was part of it because, um, I mean, something needed to explain because Neil Robertson was a long way from his best, wasn't he? And uh, having come into this in, in good form, he was certainly one of the favourites to defend his title. and. Uh, yeah, he was a long way from it against John Astley, who who played very well, of course. But um, yeah, maybe that was why, because <laughs> there needed to be some explanation for that sort of performance. It wasn't very good at all. He wasn't. And just thinking back to you know why it became so big, there there is an emo there is an emotion emotion and something emotive about amateurs in sport. I mean, Gary Richardson, the BBC presenter on the Today program, did ask Sean Murphy when he's on there about, you know, what he thinks about the FA Cup, because, of course, we know that, you know, is a, a fabled cup competition. Mm. And the essence of it, in, a, in many ways, is the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, these yeah. non-league teams that can beat famous teams. We all remember that, that famous Ronnie Radford. We don't remember it, but we've certainly seen it a million times, that, that Ronnie Radford goal in the, mud, in the mud at Hereford. I mean, that, that's what sport is all about. I mean, in golf, I cover a lot. It's quite a big deal, frankly, at the Masters for the top amateur and the, the Open Championship, it's not quite the same thing. You know, it is by its nature open. Sean himself tried to qualify for it one year. It's a big deal, you know, for amateurs to do well in that event. So, you know, I think the public are naturally a, a little bit funny about people trying to exclude people, if you know what I mean. And it's almost like, well, here's a famous sports person that's won everything in the game, including the World Championship, this UK Championship before, the Masters. You know, he's a top star, you know, he, he crosses the sporting boundaries. And then he's sort of lecturing a young... This is how the public are seeing him. Mm. He's lecturing a sort of teenager saying, you shouldn't be playing me. Well, he did beat you, Sean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, th I think that's a, a natural public thing. You know, everyone loves the underdog story as well. So, you know, when the underdog prevails, especially, as you say, it's a former world champion top player, been top player for ages, um, saying, well, I shouldn't even have to play him. Um, yeah, it's never gonna, it's never gonna across well. Um, yeah, if this was a film, then the, the plucky amateur would certainly be the the hero, wouldn't it? Not the sort of uh, long-standing world champion who can't be bothered to play the amateurs. Not can't be bothered, but you know what I mean. If it was the film, it would be portrayed as that. Um, so yeah, it was, even though, as you said right at the start, plenty of pros agreed with the Sean, or certainly agreed with some what he said. Um, even if it turns out, even if he was right, it was just never going to come across well with the public, really, was it? No, no, it wasn't really. And you know, one thing that we normally talks about much is actually the match. And yeah. I, I was covering a really big European Cup match, Villarreal against Manchester United last Tuesday night. I think I might have messaged you actually saying I haven't been able to watch much, you know, even follow the scores. And I saw it, I thought, is that a misprint? Is it, oh, Sean's 5 1? Is that 1 5? And then basically <laughs> watched it from there. And Sean's body language was awful for a lot of that time. He looked so down and out. 
CJ he had a, a ball to win it for 6-1. But then <laughs> the irony of Sean's comments in a way, I watched it from that point onwards, was that Sean got better, he grew in confidence as he as he got back into the match. CJ he plays some you know, very, very naive shots, actually. Mm. So in a way, you know, Sean was benefiting from some odd shot selection. Uh, he really started snatching at balls as well. I mean, he did get over the line in the end, which in the, in the end was a bit of a surprise because at 5-5, five, five, the way that last frame was developing, he thought it was only one winner, really. But in the end, you know, she tried, he won it and you keep giving credit for that. But, you know, it wasn't as if, you know, Sean was kind of, not benefiting in a way himself from he playing very kind of strange shots at time, poor shots. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's what Sean was saying now. He's sort of playing without a care in the world. I think that he sort of saw that as a yeah as a negative to him, to Sean. But yeah, I think I would agree more with you that a top player would rather be playing someone who's playing really reckless stuff. Uh, that's probably a benefit to the player, to the top player rather than the amateur. Um, that's how I'd see it anyway. Um, and it's fair to say in terms of the match, I don't think he, he mentioned it before, but Sean was dealing with a, a back and neck injury, wasn't he? I think he was in quite a lot of pain. So I think that that probably just contributed to everything about what he said at the end as well. It was a it was a bad enough night anyway without feeling <laughs> being hurt throughout it as well. Um, and yeah, he missed that. Was it the blue in the last frame, which, uh, you know, you'd put quite a lot of money on him potting that. And uh, uh, yeah. So I think it was it was plenty of things that added up to Sean's frustration at the end. Um, but yeah, I think I think when it comes down to it, if you're a top sixteen player and you've got drawn against an amateur in the first round, just beat them. You know, <laughs> well whatever you think of whether they should play or not, that's got to be a good draw. I think I think fair enough. There are probably some players on tour that you'd rather play than see Jerry. A few of them probably, but. It's still it's still a good draw if you're in the top. Why is he number six in the world? Um, so yeah, you know, just just beat him and move on. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. It, it, to be in fairness, you're right to point out the, the nuance of that that Sean actually was saying, you know, that he 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 found it difficult because he was kind of playing. You never know what he was going to play next. And actually, Ronnie's made that point. But mm. Ronnie sometimes makes kind of mean and not that helpful points and not always that accurate about different parts of the tour and the, maybe the lower reaches. But actually, when Ronnie's talking about that kind of erratic element of, of some players, he, you can see where he's coming from there. And he's like, you know, he likes playing people like, obviously, John Higgins is the obvious example. But most of those top 16 guys, because Ronnie will always say they play the right shot. And though mm. he said it about Michael White, actually, who Ronnie beat, <laughs> Ronnie's really talking up. He was, and that's a big one for Ronnie. That they play the right shot, and and that, I, I, that really struck me watching the CGI he performance against Sean Murphy. He he was so often not playing the right shot, yeah. and maybe that's difficult for those top guys. They're like, well, either, I don't know why I stand here, you know. So make, yeah, maybe that's a, a fair way of sort of pointing out that nuance from you. Yeah, it must it must be a thing because as you say, I've heard players say it before. But again, if you're saying that to a wider sporting public, it just sounds very snobby, doesn't it? Like, oh, I had to play this guy and he's so bad, I couldn't even tell what shots he was going to play. And it's just, I'm just used to playing so much better players who play the right shots, you know. It just, I get it. It's probably, it must be a thing because they say it, but it doesn't sound great, does it? It doesn't. And it, I, I don't think it's something I've, I've heard Roger Federer or, or Novak Djokovic no. or Nadal say too often in the first week of Wimbledon when they're winning sort of 6-2, 6-1, 6-love type thing in a, 
in an hour and a half, you know, oh, I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't, wasn't quite sure what they were up to. You know, I mean, it's not quite the same. I know, you know, it's unfair always to judge it by different sports, but, you know, they're just sort of swatting away those sort of lesser players, aren't they? Mm. That's what that's what Sean would normally have done. It was just a bad night at the office. You're right to remind us about the injuries. That was a factor as well. And, you know, the thing, the thing to say is, in fairness, he has apologised for the timing, but he hasn't, you know, changed his mind in the in the days since. He is still saying, no, I stick by that. You know, Steve Dawson, as you mentioned, enjoying the publicity and also saying, you know, that's an ethos of, you know, World Snooker Tour and certainly the Barry Hearn era and now on to Steve Dawson, that it is in, as inclusive as possible. And that, 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 I think, is why I struggle with the idea of cutting the tour, actually. I sort of think, mm, cutting it, it, it doesn't feel quite tallies quite with the way the sports developed so so impressively in the last sort of 10 12 years type thing mm. but everyone's got different views judge trump's very much like no judge says he sees everyone as kind of the same which if he means that i have no reason to suggest he doesn't then it's a good philosophy and way to look at it for those top players treat everyone as you know an opponent to be respected and feared type thing and uh, Ronnie was, I don't think Ronnie was very helpful in the debate, frankly, <laughs> the, in the bits I've seen. He's just like, you know, classic Ronnie, you know, oh, I don't want to say anything about it, but still managed to say, well, you were there actually, Ronnie, on that Zoom. Yeah. Still managed to say three or four quite newsworthy things, you know, they better get another job. And, you know, yeah. Sean was in bits. So he's a bit naughty, isn't he? I'm not going to say anything, but I'm still going to say, two or three quite incendiary little things. <laughs> it was funny, that, yeah, because I wrote that up and I actually got a bit of stick for a tweet the tweet I put out with that piece saying that Ronnie wasn't very sympathetic. And then a load of people saying, oh, that's massive clickbait. If you read his quotes, he was being sympathetic. And I thought, how have they thought that? And then I read the quotes back and I thought, actually, I suppose if you, you can read them in that way, but we were both on that Zoom conference and he was not being sympathetic to him. I think he was borderline taking the piss, really. And oh, sort of, yeah. it was very sort of dismissive and like, oh, go and get another job if you don't like it. Um, so yeah, he wasn't being sympathetic, I would say, but, uh, yeah, it was funny that because, um, he was being asked, oh, what do you think of this? He kept saying, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not interested. No comment. But as you say, he slipped in a few lines that were quite funny and, uh, worth writing up at the same time. But, uh, yeah, well, what you said about Sean, he, he does think that. And as I said, right at the start, he has, it's, it's a point that can be discussed whether amateurs should play in the, with pros and quite a few other pros think it, as I said. Mark Williams has been saying it for a while. So, um, yeah, it, 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 he stands by his point and uh, quite a few people do agree with him. So it's not to be dismissed. And what I'd always say to every player, speak your mind all the time because we love it. We certainly do. And as you saw, I think, already suggested, Mark Williams made those points to you. And we all noticed in the snooker community, but it didn't go much further, did it? But no, yeah. But because Sean's saying it and a big event, and do you know what it makes me think as well? BBC has got its faults. We all know that. But doesn't this show the power of the BBC this last week? They started to go big again on this tournament, their first big sort of flagship event of the, of the season. Live coverage on television now underway. Uh, Jamie Broughton's been there doing a huge, excellent work, BBC radio, uh, websites going big on it. And the might of the corporation has been there for all to see in a way. And it's, you know, 
on television, radio, online, and everything's contributed to make this story big in a way that I don't think any other kind of British broadcaster could do. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, those figures you're talking about that Shamim was saying, you know, I, in, <laughs> this is no slight on my work. It's just where I work for a much smaller website than the BBC website. You know, I couldn't dream to compete with those kind of figures. It's great. And it's amazing that that many people are reading about snooker. So it's, yeah, as you say, BBC has its fault, but snooker is in a much better position th- with them on board, for sure. No, definitely. And, you know, people like talking about snooker, Phil. You know? <laughs> Good news for us, presenting a website called Talking Snooker. <laughs> but the funny thing is, you know, I know it sounds sort of barking mad, but I'm, I, I find this quite amusing that, we only actually got one message about this, which I I, I, quite, I, quite, I quite like. You know, the 1,400 comments last time we saw, probably loads more now on BBC Story. Mm-hmm. Piers Morgan, you know, the Queen probably had a view somewhere. You know, every, <laughs> everybody's had their say. And yet, here we are on a snooker podcast. But to be fair, Brian Campbell on email does cover a lot of points. So I think it's worth going to that now. Brian says, hi, I was annoyed by Sean Murphy's recent comments regarding amateurs in tournaments like the UK Championship. Sean was making out players like his opponent, C. Dry He, are playing with no pressure. Now, I assume if that is true, does that really give C an advantage which outweighs Sean's better ability, top six ranking and vast experience of playing in and winning Snooker's biggest tournaments? I don't think it does. I found Sean's comment about how this is how he puts food on the table crass. I know it's just a figure of speech, but when so many families are struggling and using food banks, it's a poor choice of words from someone who has won over £400,000 in prize money in the last two years. The food on the table comment further irritated me when I saw him pitch up as part of the BBC's commentary team. This isn't a man struggling to put food on the table in any way, shape or form. At the end of the day, Sean was beaten fairly and squarely where it matters most on the table. That sport, these things happen. I found his comments a bit hypocritical, given he attempted to qualify for the Open Golf Championship. Had he been successful, in theory, he could have prevented someone else from earning some money. And to use his phrase, putting food on the table. As ever, I look forward to the podcast and hearing all different opinions. You can't beat a bit of controversy. Yes. In regards, Brian, well... We're, we're, yes, you, a big yes from you, and, a, and, a, and an amen from me, because that, that's what keeps us all ticking over. Now, it, it feels like it might stray into politics a little bit with the food on the table thing, but you know, no harm in sometimes doing that. I, I didn't think that was that was brilliant, and, and we hear that quite a lot in this sport, actually. Not just to pick on Sean, actually. Let's, let's drag it away from him a bit. You hear it from a lot of the top guys, you know. Um, you know, oh, this is how I put food on the table. I think, well, mate, you probably already earned more than most of us are going to in a lifetime when I mean, you're not doing too badly. Yeah. Then I was kind of thinking, you know, in fairness, a bit of a devil, devil's advocate thing is Sean was here now. And we, you know, listen, let's make it clear here. Sean is one of Snooker's great ambassadors. We said that before when he was on here, he was terrific. This doesn't take that away you know, at all. He's still one of Snooker's great ambassadors. He might have just spoken a little bit out of turn and a little bit carelessly on this occasion. But anyway, if Sean was here, he'd probably say, well, it's probably up to me and Neil Robertson and Mark Selby and Mark Williams to say the point, because if the world number 
30 or 40, with all the greatest respect to them, says it, it's probably not top of the BBC website or on the radio mm. or on telly. Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's that part should be remembered as well. Yeah, and I think he generally thinks uh, that what his point is sort of is what is right for the game, isn't it? I, I don't think... Um, I mean, he probably said it in a certain way because he had just lost, but as we said, he's not sort of retractor or anything. I think, I think he thought it beforehand. He didn't just come off the table and think, right, get amateurs out of the game. Yeah, you know, um, so it was it was just what he thought for how snooker should work. He thought it before and he still thinks it, so fair enough. But um, yeah, I think I think Brian even said it's just a turn of phrase and I think he probably would, with a bit of thought, wouldn't have said those exact words because, yeah, it it doesn't, it doesn't sound great from someone who's, you know, earned a lot more money than most of us ever will, as he said. And as I said before, it is how these amateurs put food on their table as well. Um, they don't have other jobs. They snooker is is their job. Maybe the professionals might say, "Well, it shouldn't be," but it is, uh, and uh, they just earn a lot less money out of it. So, yeah, it was probably that wasn't the best turn of phrase at all. Well, I feel like you know we we might have done enough on this for now, but obviously we want to hear other views, don't we, Phil, uh, from our listeners? And w- when the dust has settled, and maybe. Um, it becomes more of a snooker issue again, if you like. Maybe it's time for our listeners to have more of their say to us. And that's, and that's, uh, would be most welcome. Talking snooker at yahoo.com or, or tweet us at talking snooker. And, uh, yeah, listen, the vast majority have, have definitely, have definitely, um, been anti what Sean has said, but not everyone has. Let's put that out as well. Not everybody has. Some people are saying actually, and some, you know, good snooker people as well that I've seen on social media and elsewhere actually. It might not have been great timing. He might not have worded it brilliantly, but actually, we think he's right. Yeah, I think there's so many. I mean, this is this is a few days ago, and to be honest, I've sort of got quite bored of it after a couple of days. But this is a few days on, and we've how long have we been talking about this for? Half an hour at least. Yeah. I think there's just lots of different bits to it. Yeah, and I think that's why it's sort of quite an interesting debate because, as I said right at the start, it's not it's not just should amateurs play in professional tournaments there's there's lots of sort of different angles to it and ways of looking at it and i think that's why it's it's caught on a bit but yeah um yeah do get in touch and give it a give point of views because uh we can do another half an hour another week if you want we might well return to it definitely when we when we're, when we're back uh next weekend probably after the final unless it's uh another one in the morning job in which case we, we might have two busier lives on the monday to justify <laughs> that but we, we certainly intend to do one of our becoming, we hope, becoming famous post-finals, <laughs> which we always get a lot, quite a lot of feedback, actually. People enjoy it. We love doing it, don't we? And I think yeah. after those really big ones, the Triple Crown ones especially, let's try and do that next Sunday. But we'll, we'll, no doubt we'll return to this and we'll expect, you know, hopefully expect some more correspondence for you in the, in the week to come. Phil, there's been a lot of um, action on the table, of course. It's been as mad as we thought it would be, frankly. It, it's quite bewildering. Uh, the UK for the first uh, five days. We are now ticking towards, as we're recording this, the end of the first couple of rounds. And it's a bit more manageable, I think, from this Monday coming up now, isn't it? Because all the event, all the matches, I think I'm right in saying, are in the main arena from now on. They don't go into the sports hall. It's like four in every session type thing for the next mm-hmm. couple of days. We're at the last 32 stage. And I always think, yeah, you can keep your eye on the streaming now. I know some people haven't been able to watch all the matches they wanted to watch in the last few days. Let's face it, you can watch an awful lot of snooker now, so let's not bounce, 
you know, think about that in a negative sense. But from now on, you know, everything you'll be able to see as you want. And actually, I find the first five days a bit much on on some levels of trying to keep in touch with everything. But now I think it's organised quite well, isn't it? Because it's four matches. Then I think it's a couple of days of the last 16, two matches ago, then the quarters. And we, you know, we're starting to see the wood for the trees a bit, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, we did. It did feel like a bit spoiled. It was very first world problems saying, "Well, there's matches we can't watch." And I know speaking on speaking on Sunday night and on this afternoon, it was Jarajin Tong against Tepchaya and New. And I know I was a, with a lot of people in being disappointed that we couldn't see that, and especially because it turned out to be a superb match. But um, yeah, you can't have everything, can you? And I think that was I think that was just purely done on the rankings. Um, it looked a funny choice, but Martin Gould versus Kao Yu Peng was on. On, in the main arena on TV, but Gould's higher ranked than Tep Chai or Ozing Tong, so I think it, they just stuck to that. Um, didn't so it, you can't win, can you? Because uh, if if they had uh, if they had switched it around, Gould would have had Kyron Wilson's argument, wasn't it? Why is why is he getting kicked off for lower ranked players? But um, so yeah, that's what I think that's why it was. But uh, I think the general snooker public were quite disappointed by that. But yeah, no, it's going to get a very more much more manageable, and we'll see everything now. And um, yeah, this next round, I'm sure we'll we'll get to that. But there's a mix of sort of big names facing each other, and then some that you wouldn't expect to be here. So it's a nice mixture coming up. Very much so. And while we've been praising the BBC and and the Beeb machine that might have um, sparked that story into even greater life than we could ever have believed, let's also give a rounded picture and say. I know it's a long-standing thing. They don't cover the first round, but it was a little bit like, here's what you missed for, for 10, 15. Mm. I joked about it being like the old days when I was growing up of midweek football on Radio 2 when they inevitably joined the match, I think, at two minutes past eight and often have missed a goal or even in a big European match. It was, a, it was a bit like that, you know, it was like three days of massive action. The Sean Murphy story, him going out, Robertson going out, you know, loads of other things. The Gary Wilson one four seven, and actually... They gave 10 minutes to catch up on it. One day it might be nice to think that I'm sure there were all sorts of considerations. Why not? You can't just click your finger and demand three more days of snoop on the BBC. But maybe on the online part, I play in the same way that they do the seniors, for example. Maybe that could be looked at because it does feel like joining the party late doesn't always feel funny, but it felt more funny than usual this time. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm so used to watching Eurosport and I watched the first three days on Eurosport. I've not even watched any on the BBC yet. I've, I've carried on watching it on, on Eurosport. And I think I just sort of, I'm so, it's just where I spend most of my time now. So uh, I've not I've not even made the switch over. But uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a, it, I've always thought it was an odd one. And as you say, it's, it, they already give a lot of time for snooker. So it can't be as easy just to took more in. But it seemed madder, a, a weirder decision considering how action-packed it was. Um, and as you say, just 10 minutes to fit all that in. Uh, it, it doesn't really do it justice, does it? No, fair way of saying it. I think the, the TV nerd in me a little bit and the old school element means I do always try and catch up with the beef, certainly in the first weekend, because I'm interested in the kind of furniture and put it like that, what they're up to. And it's Jason Mohammed, the main presenter, no Hazel Irving. I always think it's a massive miss. Radzi, mm-hmm. number one at Eurosport, of course, mm-hmm. in a... A development and and of course yes while we're saying the B weren't there let's praise Eurosport the home of TV snooker they were there for the first three days and it really makes a difference you know it really gives it should I say it I'm ready for it 
<laughs> where's that? Where's that klaxon? <laughs> gravitas. I've said it. Lovely. There was a nice pause before that to give it even more gravitas. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, sir. Well, let's now think about some of the stories on the table. 147 for Gary Wilson. A friend of the podcast, Hector Nunn's, messaged me and said, that might be one of the least reported, the most underreported 147s ever with everything else going on. Yeah, well, he did get attention on the day. And uh, I know Will Stoker did a, did a little video interview with him afterwards. And Gary was, I mean, a lot of players are like this, but Gary Wilson might be more than any. He's, he really is his own harshest critic. And he sort of, he, he, he won that game very impressively. And even before he made the 147, he was making some big breaks. And afterwards he said, yeah, it was solid. Yeah, I was reasonably pleased with that. <laughs> it, was, it was an unbelievably good performance. And he even brought up a game that he'd won 5-0 a couple of weeks ago and how he'd come off the table fuming with himself that he didn't that he hadn't taken a couple of chances in it. He's just, he's so hard on himself. And I guess in one way that, you know, will help, you know, raise your standards or whatever. But I think you've got to sort of give yourself a break sometimes as well. Um, but yeah, fair play to him for that. It was superb. And I think that was his fourth and there, are, there aren't that many yeah. players who made four maximums. Yeah. He's up there. That, yeah, well, that really took me. I was like, oh, well, you know, he probably might be a second, fourth. Yeah, it's good, that, isn't it? But I did quite like his reaction when it happened, actually. I like that kind of quiet sort of fist pump type thing, very Gary Wilson in a way. But I think yeah. the point you made as well, which I always love, the arena stopping, mm. all the attention there, you know, focused on, on, on Gary, you know, willing him to do it. And it doesn't matter, you know, what the era is really, we know there are far, far more being made these days, but it still has that cash. And I hope, I hope it never loses that. I don't think it will, because it, you love seeing that with the whole arena focused on that one moment and everyone's so delighted. Yeah, it was superb. I, I had the, uh, I was watching Gilbert against Burden just on the Eurosport app, but there's no commentary on it. Oh, what's the commentary on it? I, I was just doing something else and I was sort of half watching it and I saw them just sort of stop and Burden just wander over to the side. I was like, what's gone on here? <laughs> Turned out it was the 147. But yeah, oh, it's yeah. nice to do that. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, it's great. As you say, they're they're much more common, but still not, I wouldn't call them common. It's still not every tournament or anything like that by any stretch. Um, so yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, I've got the list up here. So um, there's only one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, eight players that have made more maximums than Gary Wilson, which is quite amazing, really, isn't it? Wow. How many Stuart Bingham made? He, Bingham's he, made eight, which eight. is unbelievable as well. So he's fourth on the list behind wow. Sullivan at the top, Higgins, Hendry, then Bingham. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a standout name up there, really, after those three. There was a period about a year ago, it might have been during the COVID time behind closed doors, where it seemed like Stuart was going to make it every other frame. He was like, yeah. <laughs> getting in, it's like, he's got five reds and five blacks here again. You know, it's like, yeah, it's amazing. And Tom Harry- Ford's another name on that list with five. Why? It's just a <laughs> sort of, obviously Tom's an excellent player, but you, you wouldn't quite expect him to see him alongside. He's level with Judd Trump there, just behind Murphy and Ding. Indeed, yes, he, he, he certainly terrifically, terrifically high on that list. Well, talking about impressive uh, performances, what about Tech Chiron Nu? Five centuries, Phil, in beating Stephen Hendry 6-1. I mean, this is even more material for Hendry. He, he's banging this drum, isn't he? That people are, people are turning on against him as <laughs> if they're expecting a peak 90s Hendry. And, well, you know... 
he's building up more and more evidence as 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 the sort of weeks of the season go on. Yeah, I mean, he's had a few. I mean, his very first match back, Matt Selt. Uh, Matt Selt's a very good player, but that's as good as I've seen him play. Well, he he was ball. brilliant that night, yeah. He was absolutely yeah. brilliant. And then uh, Chris Wakelin at the British Open recently. That was easily the best I've ever seen him play, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then Tech Chaya. We, we, we all know what Tech Chaya's got in his locker, but he certainly doesn't do it every week. Um, but that was that was incredible. Five centuries in uh, seven frames. Yeah, he won six one, didn't he? And he got he made a fifty in the other frame he won, and I think he made a fifty in the frame he lost as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you, you just can't really play better than that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I spoke to Stephen in in Milton Keynes after he'd lost that that match to Chris Wakelin, and I said, "Oh, people seem to." Be turning it on against you, and he said he's he's taking it as a compliment that even I think he said something like even scratching around like I am now, I'm seen as a scalp. So I've got to take it take it as a compliment, but uh, it can't be much fun. But on the flip side, then you can't beat yourself up, can you? Because there's nothing anyone can do playing against someone playing like that. No, there really isn't. You, you, you could you can't analyze that for too long. It's just a brilliant brilliant performance to beat him. Well, Cal Yupeng certainly looking the part. He beat Jamie Jones 6-1 in that first round. And Wu Yizhou, I know we, we've spoken about a fair bit on here, certainly from Alan McManus and, and yourself as well. He, he had a good win against Lu Ning 6-3. Uh, most of the other heavyweights won through, didn't they? And we were saying just before we came, came on air, actually, and we'll come to some more shocks, including one that's happened just before we started recording uh, soon. It's one of those where you can get carried away it's almost like ah, we've seen this show. We've seen this show before. Loads of stars going out, big names, but actually, come next Sunday, we'll still have a great final. It's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, there's sort of been three or four big names gone, and you think, oh well, this must be shaping up for an outsider. But then, then you think about who is still left in, and yeah, it's probably going to be quite recognisable names still. Indeed. Well, we we came to round two over this uh, weekend uh, in in York. Great to be back in York, by the way, isn't it? Everyone's saying that. I mean, I know you said you're not seeing the BBC coverage, but um, they started with sort of images of the city overlooking the Minster, and I think that that's the kind of style this event, you know, has now. With you know, in a proper city, and mm. so loads of people that we know in snooker were sort of enjoying their day off on Friday and visiting various attractions in York, and it, it looked smashing. I mentioned it was very much York light for me going up there last year, and. Uh, at this time of year and very few things being open, it being a bit sad, still always enjoyable for me because I love York that much and so many memories. But now it's the proper York experience and people are really relishing being back, aren't they? We should say that. Yeah, it seems like it. And the crowds look like they've been good and certainly the crowds have been into it. Um, I know even though, yeah, the first couple of days in the morning sessions, the afternoon sessions, there seemed to be, it wasn't like those home nations events where we were thinking, Oh, what what are these crowds? And then they did end up being good by the end, but those early early rounds weren't. But not the case in York. I'm, I'm sure it hasn't been full all the time, but they've looked pretty healthy all uh, all the way through so far. They really have. And uh, let's think about some second round uh, results of note that we've had so far. We'll see why his run came to an end um, after that fine win against Sean Murphy. He lost six four uh, to Dominic Dale, but Wu Yiz is still there. He beat Hamad Mia. At, 6-4. Uh, I watched a bit of the Ronnie O'Sullivan-Robbie Williams uh, match. Robbie Williams actually started really well, but Ronnie came through and was a good 6-2 winner in the end. The match then that you talked about, Zhao Zing Tong against Tep Shire Anu, 
Chelsea Tom win it 6-5 on the final black. I mean, that did sound terrific. I'm not, I'm not just rubbing it in because we couldn't see it, Bill. I mean, it was just um, sounding like a, as good as, you know, snooker fans expected it to be. Yeah, fast-paced, big scoring. Um, and uh, yeah, I was watching Judd Trump against Chris Wakelin while that was on. And that was for a Judd Trump match, that was relatively stodgy. And then Neil Folds kept chipping in with the updates. It was like, another one, another frame gone, another frame gone. <laughs> Seemed to just be reeling them off. Um, yeah, and it, it was exactly what you would expect from those two fast-paced, uh, high scores. So, yeah, it was a shame that we didn't get to see it. But um, it's a great win for Jin Tong after what Chep Jai did in the previous round. Um, that long been spoke about the, his great potential, and we've only seen it in flashes, and he's never really gone really deep in a tournament. So, you know, maybe this could be the time, but I think he's got a very tough one next. I think he's got John Higgins next, so that'll be, that'll be a real test. Yeah, so no doubt about that. Uh, ben Wollaston beating Yan Bing Tao, the mm-hmm. Masters champion, 6-3. And we should say that actually Ben played that match a few hours after hearing the news that his mother-in-law had died. And obviously the mother of Tatiana Wollaston, the referee, mm-hmm. obviously we send our, our condolences there uh, for that very sad loss. But, you know, what a terrific win on the table that is for Ben, because we, all, we, we talk up Yan Bing Tao for good reason all the time, but... Ben Wollaston, you know, is a nice player when he's on song. He can turn those big stars over. And maybe he could be fancying a, you know, a decent long run. He's not, he's done it before in ranking events. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't he? And I always think he's a really good player. Um, there was a, it was a few years ago now, isn't it? But he, he looked like he might go on to be a really top, top, top player. And um, it'd be nice to see him go on that path again. But yeah, he's had a very quiet season. And yeah, as you say, we do t- talk up Yang quite a lot, but he, has, he still isn't quite, you know, him losing didn't gain loads of headlines, I don't think. But that was an amazing win for Luston, I think, considering uh, yeah. how quiet a season he's had. Yang's been s- solid and steady and very good, as he always is. So, yeah, no, uh, just hats off to Ben for that, because that's a great victory, especially in the circumstances, like you mentioned. No, very much so. Yeah, so some of the Judd Trump, Six, Chris Wakelin, three. Trump was actually three, two down, actually. A bit of a sort of stodgy match. But, you know, as he said afterwards, you know, on television, you know, he digs in now. And I, I did actually see a couple of things. It might have been our friend Daniel Clark, actually, friend of the podcast, pointed out that maybe we should start, you know, thinking about stopping this. Oh, Judd's got a new attitude now. Because it's quite old that he's got that new attitude, which is a, a fair <laughs> way of saying it. But actually, you know, he, yeah, he... The, dig, the digging in is a good sign. If you're getting through those matches, you're not necessarily shining, you know, it doesn't, in effect, matter that much on a very long tournament. You're getting through. That's the main thing. That's what he's done. And, you know, he's dangerous, isn't he? He's so dangerous. Absolutely, yeah. He's just so hard to be. So, yeah. And, yeah, that's right. It's sort of three years, at least, that he's sort of been more this much more well-rounded, all-round player. He's got everything, really, in this game. Um so, yeah, it's not quite new anymore, but, yeah, it, it it's irrelevant how you play as long as you win. And, uh, you know, Neil Robertson and Sean Murphy will tell you that from the first round. They would have... Uh, uh, Sean Murphy didn't have play great in that game, but if he just popped that blue, then it would, all this wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have had a, all this chat, probably. Um, so, yeah, now he's... And he, he, Judd Trump very, very rarely suffers a big upset now, does he? It usually takes a big name to beat him. And I'm sure people will send in times where that hasn't happened, but it is rare. It's very rare. Definitely, I would say. Uh, Peter Lyons still in there beating Fang Xing Ji 
6-3 in the second round. And uh, Sam Craigie beating Ding Junhui, 6-3. Woes continue for Ding. Uh, uh, My concerns only continue. I'm sure that concerns of many snooker fans for quite where Ding's going at the moment in the game. Uh, Yu Peng beating uh, Martin Gould, 6-3. No doubt about the direction Yu Peng's going at the moment. It's upwards. And then tonight, Phil, well, this all finished. Mark Selby against Hossein Vafai before we started recording. And I've seen the Fies won it 6-2. And you made a really wise point, actually. It, it was a re-spotted black. I think it was about 16 or 17 shots. What drama. And you said it felt like a decider when we came on this Zoom tonight before we started recording. And immediately what came to my mind is that Murray-Djokovic-Wimbledon final when Murray won. And it was, I think it was the, the game that Murray actually clinched it. He kept having loads of advantage points and there was break points. It was so dramatic and long. And it felt like it could have been two sets all because you still thought Djokovic could come back. It was mm. that good. And it was a bit like Selby, you know. It might have been 5-2, but, you know, he's so good and switched on and has that granite-like brinkmanship ability, Selby. You still, you know, he could easily have come back. Someone messaged me tonight saying, you know, he surely he couldn't. And I think, well, he could because it's him, you know. But yeah. it, it was a fluke to win it. Uh, we, well, we're 99% sure. You voiced an opinion that a few said it wasn't, but, well, and that, that's, that, that's pushing the boat out and summit. That wasn't a fluke. I mean, he came off the, the cushion, didn't he? Yeah. Behind the black and knocked it in the middle. I mean, it was, it was quite a, an extraordinary way to win it. And He, did, he didn't that, really apologise. That that's the only reason I can get behind that. I think, it, I mean, it would be outrageous if he was playing it, but I didn't just see a hand up or anything, though. I'm not ruling it out, but yeah, I mean, certainly my when I first saw it, it did look like a fluke for sure. But it was it was a lovely it was a lovely cat and mouse battle because even going to that respot was Selby potting the final black and going in off, wasn't it? Great drama. Yeah, which Ken Doherty spotted straight away before he played it on the BBC, and I've got a message from a friend Neil Foles did the same on Eurosport. And then my friend the nice or my friend suggested, oh, perhaps it was obvious then. Well. To some extent, maybe, but I still think it's impressive they both called that. And I think mm. probably Selby had that threat that might happen, but thought it was worth the risk. He went in off, then the respotted black, which was real drama. Loads of great safeties from both. Eventually, Hossein Bafai winning. I mean, a bit genuine shock there. I mean, anytime Selby goes out at that stage of a triple crown, it's a it's a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, of course. And Bafai was excellent. I don't think Selby did loads wrong. Bafai um, is one of those players that. We, again, sort of similar to Jing Tong, we were speaking about how good he is for a while, but doesn't often show it. And uh, I saw someone tweet that I couldn't. That they said during this match, I can't remember it was. So apologies, but um, they said that it's hard to believe that he's the five number sixty three in the world playing like this. And I thought this was maybe one of those sort of projected seedings for the end of the season or something. But he's he had actually dropped to number sixty three in the world. I thought he was a lot higher than that. And certainly he's good enough to be a lot higher than that. Um, and he now will be a lot higher than that. So that's fine. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's a really good player. He, he doesn't show it all the time, but uh, he's still only young. He's in his 20s. So um, he could well still prove it. And yeah, if you can do that to Mark Selby in a, in a big tournament, then uh, then there's no reason to think he can't do it to almost anyone. There's one thing I was going to mention when you mentioned Ding earlier. I checked this earlier. So obviously him going out now and winning it two years ago, that's... He's falling down the rankings. He's going to be in the 20s now. So he won't be in the Masters in January. 
And that's the first time since 2006 he won't be playing in the Masters. And it's a bit of an end of an era there for, for Ding. Yeah, no, very much so. Very much so. And, uh, you know, you just think he's good enough to turn it round. Whether he quite has the rule to do so, we'll see. Now, I know this isn't always a live service, but a couple more results tonight. Stuart Bingham has beaten Stuart Carrington 6-2. And Jordan Brown's through beating Farake Ajabe 6-1. But do you know what, Phil? As we're recording this, there's a real dramatic match in progress with friend of the podcast, I mean, who isn't in that category now, <laughs> Anthony Hamilton. Level yeah, I've got, I must admit, I've, I've got and it. About to win, I think, isn't he, against Mark Williams? Yeah, I've, I've had it on my phone throughout this, and uh, he's making a superb break here in, in the decider. And uh, I think he's over the line, yeah. What an amazing win for the Sheriff this is. Um a huge, well, yeah, it's not quite finished yet, so I won't quite <laughs> announce it now, but... Well, I must be ahead then, because I'm not watching pictures, but I'm watching live scoring, and, and he's definitely well over the line. In fact, I'm seeing scores that he's won it 6 There we go. So that there we are. Now, that is a mighty victory. And, you know, I'm not going to go back on what I said. I still think there'll be top players in the final, but you know what? It's a bit of a different picture tonight. No Mark Selby, no Mark Williams, Murphy and Robertson gone. I mean, there's still lots of big names. Goodness, there's Ronnie there, there's Trump there, there's other big, big stars of this sport. Kyron Wilson's there and Higgins and many others. But nevertheless, this has been a hell of a Sunday night, you know. Yeah, and I, I mean, as I said, I was half watching this. Obviously, I was concentrating on the podcast, but I did watch the first <laughs> two or three frames and Williams looked superb. He was 3-0 up. And to, he made a couple of 60s to go 3-0 up as well. And I thought, well, this is looking quite ominous for Hamilton. Obviously, he was a big underdog anyway, so it wouldn't have been a surprise. But to come back from 3-0 down and beat William 6-5 um, is great. Hamilton's been showing some stuff this season, um, but that's that must be his, the best win for him. It's uh, superb. wonder who he's got next. Let me have a look. Well, Ricky it, Walden uh, next, Ricky Walden. Oh, that's a nice old match. Yeah, I mean, let's look at some of those matches coming up then. And actually, even, even since some of those are scribbled down, there'll be a few more uh, coming up. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Mark King is one here that, that, I've, that I've certainly got going up. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, when it's we're getting to the stage now where, where Ronnie was, any of those big stars will, will kind of cut, start to fancy their chances, won't they, of going a long way. Barry Hawkins, Carrie Payne, that'll be really worth a watch, actually. Yeah. Um, Andy Hicks, Dominic Dale. And... <laughs> That's one you wouldn't necessarily have expected either of those guys to come in the belly when a match all season, haven't they? But then they found it when they need it. I think a combined age of 97 there. Um, <laughs> John Higgins, Xiao Yu Tong, Sing Tong, as you, as you point out. Kyron Wilson, Wu Yiza. I mean, that's certainly one. There, there's so many fascinating matches here. Uh, ben Wollaston, Liam Highfield, uh, Judd Trump, Matt Selt. And then one that I've seen all sorts of people say on social media, and I concur with, I think you said it yourself, Mark Allen, David Gilbert. And that's just, mm -hmm. I mean, I know Mark Allen's made more disappointing noises about perhaps what his near-term or even long-term future might be with some of the issues he's having off the table. But on it, Alan Gilbert is a, is a tremendous prospect, isn't it? It really is. It, it doesn't feel like it should be in the last 32, really, does it? It feels like it should be um, much deeper in the tournament. Now, they already met in a fi one final this season, didn't they, at the uh, at the Championship League? And 
Yeah, Gilbert's not fallen that far down the rankings, but he's had he seems to have met some big players early at the English Open. He he played Yan in the last thirty two, which again seemed too early for a game of that standard. But um, yeah, this should be this should be really good. So I had a look at their head to head, and Gilbert's actually ahead, which might be a little bit of a surprise. You know, Allen's won a bit more. Um, he's had five four, and one of them is a shootout win. So you could call it four four. But um, if you include that shootout win, Gilbert's won the last four matches they've played, which is interesting. Uh, one at the Masters, he built, beat him comfortably at the Masters, and then obviously in that Championship League final. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a standout standout game for this part of the tournament, isn't it? It, it feels more like a, like a quarter final than a last 32 game, but it's one to look forward to. It really is. Uh, as is Stuart Bingham against Nop on Sankam. I'm kind of coming from two different lists here because the matches are coming in tonight mm. on top of the ones I already had. Don't think I said Jack Lazowski, Graham Dot yet, have I? That that's uh, well, we we mentioned Jack Lazowski having not seen him much. I've not seen him in this actually yet, so uh, it'll be interesting to see. I might try and catch a bit of that because that'll be you know not a, a nice sort of match to watch. That I think Lazowski and Dot. Yeah, that's an interesting one, definitely. I watched a little bit of Lazowski and so Donald. He won 6-4 in last game, in last round. And uh, Lasowski was uh, comfortably clear and then Martin started coming back, but uh, he got over the line. But yeah, um, Lasowski's needed a run and he's he started it. I don't think he'd be happy with the last 32, but he, he's there. And then, yeah, Graham Dot's another one. He's He had a great season a couple of years ago, didn't he? Because he, he's still sort of in the top 20 in the world, which sounds a bit too high considering, I can't remember last time he... It's been, it seems a while since he... Had a big run, but it was a couple of years ago. So he must be some defending some points soon. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. That's another, it's a great match, really, isn't it? No, definitely. Uh, and looking through the list here, we have Sam Craigie, Peter Lines, which is another match we're looking forward to in the next couple of days. By the way, the, the, the Gilbert Allen one's Tuesday afternoon. So that's one to right. put in your diary. Uh, Mark Joyce, Jordan Brown. Let's see if Jordan Brown can put a run together, maybe. Um, you know, for the first time since that Welsh, really, that famous Welsh Open win of his. Uh, Luca Purcell, Stephen Maguire. Not sure we mentioned Stephen Maguire. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's looking pretty hot, isn't he? Yes, that's true, actually. He, he had a great performance today. Uh, knocked in a couple of centuries. Uh, what was that? Yeah, 6-1, I think it was, against Tianpeng Fei. Uh, yeah, it's a very good result. Breaks of 127, 104. Three more half centuries. He, he loves it in York, doesn't he? I mean, he's a bit of, becoming a bit of a cliche. Um, he's not a crucible player. He's a Barbican player, isn't he? Steve McQuay, he just I think he loves this. Is one we said before about the city. He loves uh, everything about it. He's got a good record there. And yeah, him, him against Brussels, another tasty little match there for the last thirty-two. Another one that sounds like it could be a lot deeper in the tournament. Yeah, definitely, and. Xiaoyu Gudong against Hossein Bafai. Hossein Bafai, of course, famously beating Mark Selby uh, tonight, Sunday night in the UK. And then there's one more here, which is not quite decided, which is Xiaoyu Long against uh, McGill or Grace. Now, I think the McGill or Grace match is going on as we speak, actually, approaching yeah. midnight. And I think McGill might be about to get over the line in that. Yeah, on my live scores, he's 5-4 up. But yeah, they're really going deep in that one. Um yeah, it looks like McGill is going to do it, but uh, that has taken some time, hasn't it? But yeah, McGill, Zhao Yulong now, another very good match. There's some some uh, some tasty ones being put together. I think they're 
they're ranked 16 and 17, seeded 16 and 17 for this. So it's as you would expect to happen, but they've avoided the upsets. Indeed. So it looks at the moment like McGill's going to get over the line against David Grace there late on this Sunday night, which would complete the first couple of rounds. And as we said, it's, it's, a, it's absolutely barking mad, frankly, the first couple of rounds of the UK, but very, very entertaining. Loads of great drama to come. And we're just thoroughly enjoying the tournament, aren't we, Phil? It gets a bit more manageable from here. And yeah, so many fascinating matches to look forward to. I feel like maybe we'll do a couple of bits of correspondence and then that might that might do us then for now. And perhaps we'll keep an eye on that McGill match and maybe it's finished before we, before we go off the air type thing. And then that kind of would complete the first couple of rounds. Uh, we have a, a message on Twitter from Marcus Simonite here, actually, who asks this. After a foul shot, when the referee is trying to replace the balls, why, oh, why? What's like a why, oh, why? <laughs> why, oh, why isn't there a projector above the table that can project the image of the balls onto the table? It's frustrating me for years why they can't develop this. It will be much more accurate and quicker. I think it's a finance thing, isn't it? It's expense. I mean, they... they as far as I can remember, they've done it in, in Chinese events and it is a lot more efficient. And that, to me, to you, bit to the left, yeah. the right thing, isn't really... Uh, I always think Neil Foles is one that's great on this. He said, there's got to be a better way than this. It doesn't look great, frankly. But, yeah, I think it's probably down to, down to the old rascal money. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think this has come up on here before. I definitely, like Marcus, that's been a bit of a bugbear of mine. It, it just looks so amateurish, doesn't it? Just like, oh, it's a little bit there, oh, it's a bit further away. But it's still wrong. But yeah, no, they've had they have had it in tournaments in Asia, um, and it, that works fine. It's just like lasers, isn't it? <laughs> that sounds like uh, a big technophobe. It's something like lasers. But yeah, they have something above the table that shows you where all the balls are, and it works fine. Um, and I'm sure, yeah, they would love to have it over here. I'm sure, but it's, it must be very expensive, and I don't know how to inst- how it's installed over the tables. Uh, yeah, so it does exist, but. Um, for logistical and financial reasons, I think that's why it's not in place. Yeah, indeed. Uh, That's the way to sum it up, I think. Let's take this one as well. Florian Herzale on email. How do I pronounce that? Right, uh, Florian. Great to hear from you. Hi, Nick and Phil. First of all, I love your podcast. I know everyone who writes in says that, but I really mean it. Um, Does that suggest the others don't mean it? Maybe he's, (laughs) He's not saying that. It always goes to the top of my queue when a new episode is made available, as does Dave Hendon's Snooker Scene podcast. Regarding the topic of possible interviewees, which you semi-brought up in your anniversary episode, I have a few suggestions of behind-the-scenes people who I'd love to learn more about and who might be a great addition to your pod. I see no reason why we shouldn't read out this list of names. Do you, Fair enough. Uh, Matthew Hewitt, Head of Communications at WPBSA, and more importantly, perhaps, in brackets, of pro snooker blog fame, Ron Florax of QTrackerNet, a website most hardcore snooker fans like myself couldn't live without. Well, another amen for me there. Fabulous. Absolutely, yeah. Herman Ardelen from snooker.org. Again, terrific. I've got to be honest, that's where I'm checking results tonight, Phil, on, on, and, and live scores on snooker.org. Yeah, I'm on there every day, I think, yeah. And I have to say, a bit of a tangent here, I have friends at Ross Nuka Tour. They do many, many things brilliantly. The website's not good enough. I, I, I can't find schools on there. It, it, you know, I'm relatively au fait with online operations. 
it's like five clicks when it should be one. I just don't understand why there's not a tab for latest scores and a tab for results. Having to go into the little different dates and matches at the top, it's just the most clunky site. I'm sorry to be outspoken, but it just doesn't work for me at all. Yeah, no, I think I've, I've heard similar complaints before. Uh, I think I, just because I use it so often, I sort of got used to it. But yeah, if I if someone came to that fresh and I had to explain to them where things were, they'd probably think it was very odd indeed. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, out of context snooker on Twitter seems to be a funny guy. Well, he, she is the question mark. Yes, it could be he or she. I quite like out of context snooker. That is a good um, Twitter feed. Uh, Mike Ganley, tournament director. Brian Wright, Coventry City guy, in quotes, at the Crucible. Monique Limbo, possibly Belgium's biggest Ronnie O'Sullivan fan, from what I've read on Twitter. And any of the cameramen at the Crucible. I'm not affiliated with any of these, but I'm sure you have greater insight, or maybe know one or two of them personally. Keep up the good work and all the best from Vienna, Austria, Flo. Well, all the best to you, um, Florian. And um, I think it's quite a sad situation in terms of quite a heavy lockdown at the moment in Austria. So um, all the best wishes to you over there, of course. And all our fans in Austria, we get quite a few listeners from Austria, actually, which is always always lovely to hear. Mm. Yes, we know some of those people personally. Um, I know I do, I- indeed. And a uh, few of them we probably know through, through, um, through social media and generally on the online world. And to be honest, Phil, We've discussed some of these people, haven't we? <laughs> so yeah. no promises, but yeah, the, these are very much people that are on our radar as well. They're all, they're all terrific. So um, in fact, what, one or two, I think, I'd almost say are in the bag for, for coming up at some stage, but no promises, but they're good suggestions, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd chat to all those people. That'd be great. So um, appreciate those those suggestions. And uh, yeah, well, we, we'll be doing this for many moves to come. So we've got plenty of time to get them all on. Indeed, good way of saying it. Well, let's just have a quick look before we go at the McGill and Grace. Now, I, I, I said that maybe McGill was closing in on victory. It, look, it looks still very close. It looks like there's enough points in this frame at 5-4 for David Grace to win. They can be playing to a Michaelmas fill this one. It's just going on and on. So <laughs> we can't quite compete the last 32 yet, probably, while we're on air. But I'll tell you what we, we have done. We've certainly gone through quite a lot of stories and matches. And let's sum it up generally as we're approaching midnight here in the UK and we've got um, Bedfordshire to head to. Um, it's been a terrific start for the tournament, hasn't it? I mean, five days in, so much drama. And, you know, to me, it emphasises what, what we I said, we said on here. The UK may have its detractors a bit, not quite the same as it was, but it still feels big time. It feels different to nearly every other event, doesn't it, really? It feels everything just matters that bit much more, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And just this, I mean, there's been a lot of stick about it going to best 11 frames, but compared to what we are used to a lot now, that they almost seem like quite long matches. Um, certainly some of them have lasted a long time. So, uh, yeah, no, it does. It, it is still different to, you know, those the other tournaments we, we get used to and nothing against them. Love the Home Nations events, for example. But, yeah, this is a step up for sure. And... Uh, yeah, it's been a great level of shocks, but with big names staying in. You don't want you don't want all the big names staying through, but you don't want them all going out, obviously. Um, and not only the shocks on the table, but it's the shocks that create the stories that that come out of them. Obviously, you know, you know, if if Sean had 
won that match. I don't think he would have said those things about amateurs, even though he said he does think it anyway. But it still wouldn't have come out as it is. It wouldn't have created this story. So yeah, it's been a it's been a great mix of everything. Really, really high standards. The one four seven record breaking amount of centuries in a match. Um, sorry, record equaling. I'll be uh, correct myself there. But yeah, it's had it's had a bit of everything. So uh, hopefully, plenty more of that to come. Indeed, and of course, television coverage will continue in the UK on BBC and Eurosport. And of course, there'll be various broadcast arrangements, I know, for different parts of the world. I know Matchroom Live has a lot of coverage on their their website at the moment. So as the days build up and we head towards more the climax of the UK, this really is one of the most special times of the snooker season. So I hope you continue to enjoy it. Shall we head away, I think? We've we've done enough talking snooker on this occasion, I think, Phil. We'll turn, hopefully, after the final. And, uh, well... Big finals we always enjoy, but this one will be just that sort of extra special. And after last year, I mean, goodness me, I mean, we're going to have a crowd there. So it's not Milton Keynes, so it's going to be different anyway. But that that final, I mean, Neil Robertson told me about that again recently in, in an interview. And, you know, you just remember the sheer drama of that. I mean, it was just extraordinary, wasn't it? That, that one in the morning finish. And both of them crawling towards the line and Neil getting over there. We can't expect something like that again, but let's just hope for something special next weekend. Yeah, I'm sure it will be, yeah. Um, there's bound to be at least one big name. There are there are occasionally, I think we spoke about this before, the UK is nearly always one of the big name winners, isn't it? But we do occasionally get sort of a, an un, unfancied name get to the final. So we'll see We'll see if it's two heavy hitters or one, one plucky underdog in there. But uh, yeah, if, I mean, if it's any- been like as tense as that last one, then I'll take it. If it's half as tense as last year, then it'll still be pretty tense. But yeah, um, yeah, it probably is Bedfordshire time. I think we're coming up to midnight on Sunday, and Ronnie O'Sullivan's playing at one o'clock on Monday, so we're not too far away from that already. What What are you seeing on McGillan Grace? The, the, the completest in me is it would love to see it over, but it's one of those where snooker can be a cool mistress, and it's I think David Grace may need a snooker now, but there seems to be no end in sight in, in the very near future. Yeah, no, it could still be could still be a little while left. <laughs> Anthony McGill's in the driving seat, you would say, but uh, it's not over yet. No, indeed. Looks like it's going to be McGill, but uh, that's about it then for talking snooker for now. But it's great to see you. I'll see you again, again next week. And um, try and stay warm. It's absolutely perishing here in the UK, isn't it? I mean... Talk about snooker weather. I mean, this is the, you don't want to be outside at the moment, do you? You just want to be inside, you know, fire on, telly on, watch a bit of the beautiful table game. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's been, we've had a bit of snow here, but it's been, all my friends up north in Sheffield has been absolutely covered up there. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's inside, TV, hot chocolate. Just enjoy the snooker. <laughs> Indeed. On that note, we'll be back with you after the UK final. Do enjoy the rest of the tournament. Keep your thoughts coming to us, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. But for now, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.